You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Ruckers, and welcome to this week's episode of your rugby podcast from the Times and Sunday Times. I'm Alex Lowe, and joining me this week are Alan Dimmock, features editor from Rugby World. Hello. And we had to get Mark Evans on because last week, after the podcast, he texted me to correct something I said about Argentina. I'd been a bit apocalyptic about Argentina and the state of their rugby, and Mark was was a bit more positive, messaged me about it, so I thought I thought we had to get him back on. Well, you got him back on, but as soon as you said hello, Ruckers, he absolutely lost it. Yeah. <laughs> we had to turn his mic off. It's very childish, sorry. So, yeah, so last week I was quite downbeat about the Pumas, but Mark, you're not quite so negative about them. No, I think their domestic rugby system's so strong. Um, that, look, they have been, you know, they, it's been terrible, the changes for them. They've been the one that's hit most, but I, I, I don't subscribe to the fact that... Uh, they're going to fall away. I thought they were poor this autumn. They're just tired. They've been away mm. for too long. Coming up this week, Mark, Al and I will plough through another fascinating weekend of, of Premiership rugby, um, storylines and narratives everywhere. But first of all, we'll be joined by, by Dan Leo, the, the Chief Executive of the Pacific Island Players Welfare Organisation, the man whose tireless work pushed through the regulation change with World Rugby last week that will allow players to switch nationalities, capped players, to switch nationalities and represent their their heritage nation, which will will have an enormous impact on Pacific Islands rugby and will probably change the face of of the World Cup in 2023. So Dan, you've been uh, you've probably been celebrating for for a few days now that your long project to persuade World Rugby to, to change the qualification rules for international rugby was was passed last week. Um, just, just tell us what. What kind of work went into it, and um, and, and really what you what, what you feel this will do to the game? Yeah, it's a realization of a of a long uh, long dream. Really, I'm still waking. Wait, wait, you know, keep thinking I'm going to wake up, and it has just been a dream. So let's hope that's not the case. But um, no, I think we're here. Um, it's um, I think the the work, the work really started for us probably uh, six or seven years ago when we started the organisation, an independent players association called Pacific Rugby Players Welfare, um, we felt like we needed an independent voice, um, given just the, um, based on the, the amount of players that we provide to the game um, and the fact that a lot of that's probably not reflected in our in our unions and our um, economies back home. We didn't feel like that anyway. And we just thought actually there's a lot more that we can be you know, providing to the game than just, you know, just players. When Bill Beaumont was re-elected uh, was, uh, to the chairmanship, um, about just over a year, about almost two years ago, uh, one of the promises that he made was uh, that he'd, he'd have a review of the eligibility um, laws. And we took that as a, an opportunity, really, um, that would really try and pile the pressure on, try and get as many uh, eyes on this as that we could, because just knowing how um, how much of an impact um, a, a law change there could have on uh, not just Pacific Islands, but, um, you know, uh, other tier two and, and three nations as well. So yeah, lot, lots of lobbying in the in the in the in the backgrounds. Um, you know, the, I think the seventy five percent threshold, which was required to get the reforms over across the line, was uh, was was really difficult uh, to start with. Um, so yeah, really thankful that it, that it got through and that World, World Rugby have actually um, you know 
probably reversed a lot of the um, you know their history really in terms of, and, and actually done something that's going to be really uh, impactful for us as Pacific Islands and for the for the global game. So just as a as a quick recap, the, the new rule is that once a player has stood down from Test rugby for three years, he can go and represent another nation, either of his birth, his mother, his parents' birth, or grandparents' birth. So it's the sort of the same qualification criteria as their first nation minus minus residency. Is that exactly what you asked for, or is it a have they have they massaged your original um, uh, proposal? Yeah, no. For me, that three years is still too long. If I'll be honest, um, you know, the, the the idea behind uh, eligibility was, was was trying to get players to to, to come back and, and, and while they're in their prime, I think that's when they've got the most to give back uh, to their to their island nation. Um, yeah, we 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 did advocate for the one one change per career. Um, I, I don't see why it needs to be three years because I feel. In my opinion, anyway, that, that sort of uh, becomes you know relevant if you, if you can only change once. Um, yeah, there was conversations around you know the integrity of of the game, and you know um, you know if the stand down period's too short, does that you know somehow you know cheapen the jersey, the test jersey for some nations? Um, um, you know, for us that was you know it doesn't doesn't cheapen our jerseys, not for Samoa and Tonga anyway. If we can get some of these high quality players like you know Stephen Lautour and Charles Pietel and Nani Laumape back in our jerseys, that automatically you know um, adds another zero onto any um, sponsorship negotiations that, you, that that our unions might be having. And that's what this is all about. You know, it's not about uh, it can never be about just bringing you know getting ex All Blacks to come back and you know they're into their career for a little bit of a swan song. Um, you know, um, it's it's about you know making that sustainable and what that the, the the revenue opportunities around that you know and hopefully that leads to better results which will lead to more opposition against tier one nations and um you know and and, and, and which will drive funds that we can reinvest back into our grassroots and that's what it's for me it's all about it's not just the you know, eligibility laws it's everything that um, encompasses um within that financially Dan, you mentioned brand power there. Um, have you spoken to people in the region about potential sponsorship deals? Because I'm imagining that this isn't coming from a place from just going, well, let's hope that this happens because some high-profile players are, are going to be pulling on a, a red or a blue jersey. Uh, have you spoken from anyone in the region? Have you heard from anyone in the, the business community about the, the potential for investing in a, a more powerful brand? Well, that's that's the other side of the coin. Is um, you know, um, I'm, I'm not um, involved. Those conversations are over to our our, our national unions, um, and I'm not privy to those conversations. But I, I think that's that for me. That's where the investment's got to go from World Rugby now is into you know making sure that the, the right people are in those unions to be able to capitalise on this. Because at the end of the day, the day um, if the, if there's not a surplus in those in those uh, out of this in those uh, unions accounts for them to be able to reinvest into into grassroots and to ensure that, you know, in 10 years and 15 years time, we're not relying on, you know, former tier, tier one players to come back, um, then it's been a waste of time. So um, if um, that's for me where the focus has got to be now, it's not job done. It's, you know, um, this is a great step in the right direction, but as you say, we've, we need to really make sure that, um, you know, uh, financially things come to fruition now and that's going to be, uh, you know, uh, you know, take a lot of hard work. People have been speaking an awful lot about unintended consequences of any law change that we see in in the game of rugby, and uh, speaking to people that are saying that this could go the other way, and uh, tier two players that have that are eligible to play for tier one sides might get picked up. Now we can't see what's coming too far down the line. What would you say to people though that say that when there's nations like the South American sides or Georgia who feel that this this law favours the Pacific Islands over them, what would you say to those people that say that they're now at a disadvantage having produced so many homegrown talented players? Yeah, I think it's difficult, you know, um, until you put your um, feet into other people's shoes, you know, it's, uh, it's always going to be hard. I, I think um, I've, I've seen some, you know, uh, comments from people who are, you know, uh, from South American countries and, you know, but they don't have the, the drain that we have, you know, um, uh, of players. And, and, you know, I think this is a little bit of this uh, was probably about uh, world rugby giving back to the Pacific Islands. Uh, we feel that it's, you know, um, it's due. Um, we feel like we've invested a, a heck of a lot in terms of some of the, you know, the world's best players over the, you know, since, um, you know, the since the, uh, the conception of the World Cup, really. The potential for this, not just for the Pacific Islands, is actually that, uh, um, you know, in, in the World Cup, and it lies in the World Cup making that more profitable because, uh, you know, um, going from, you know, 
as long as I can remember, you know, uh, World Cups, you know, uh, really start at the quarterfinal stages because you only you know that realistically maybe eight or uh, you know probably even six teams can go go to a World Cup with a realistic chance of winning it. Um, that changes now, you know. I, I think you know um, pot- potentially with uh, you know a strengthened Samoa and Tonga side and Fiji sides at the at the next World Cup, that goes that number goes from eight to eleven straight away, which is going to increase um, you know revenue opportunities, just the you know the the overall um, interest in, in the World Cup. Um, I, I think is going to be is going to be huge now. And that's good for the, the the global game because all rugby world cup profits are dispersed um, through uh, you know through world rugby. That's their main uh, revenue generator, and so it's going to be um, beneficial financially for all of those all of those nations. You know, I can understand. Um, you know, we we question. You know, uh, you know, you, you talked about those uh, unintentional consequences. Mm-hmm. Our feelings were that if, if if we didn't make a move somehow and do something for, for um, then I just can't see how financially Samoa and Tonga um, continue to compete. Yeah, Dan, I, I think Mark MT, I, I think it's I think it's much bigger than than, than the Pacific Islands. Or everyone's concentrating on that. I think it's a big big win. And I've been, amongst many others, advocating it for a number of years, uh, not just for the for the islands, but for the game as a whole. I mean, Tonga, let's just talk about one of the two points. So rugby league did this a few years back, and what that effect has had on Tongan rugby league is extraordinary. I actually don't think rugby league probably made as much of it as they probably could have done. I'm so pleased this has gone through. I think it, I think I think rugby union as a game within the Pacific Islands was under much more pressure than a lot of people this side of the world imagine. And I also am very pleased because this change recognises real-world migration patterns and the way things have changed in recent decades. You know, The movement of people all over, around the globe is on a scale that we've never previously encountered, uh, without saying too highfalutin, in human history. And, and and our regulations were were massively out of date and they disproportionately damaged the islands and some other um tier two even some tier uh, some even even smaller rugby countries than that i think this is not perfect by any means nothing ever is but goodness me it's a massive improvement and every rugby lover who wants to grow the game ought to celebrate it Dan, I'd love I'd love to ask you one question. Is if you had a magic wand, if you were to do your New Year's wish list now, and you could make any change, what would you like to see change on Ireland now, going forward? Because obviously, fan, you know, you'll see this as a fantastic victory, albeit not exactly word for word the one that you'd want, but uh, you know, a very positive change in your eyes. What would you like to see happen on Ireland now? Is it looking at the production, the talent production line, and? try to ensure that the the funds go to the right place? Is it try to get gate receipts so that the unions have at least more money to decide what they want to do with it? Is it about um, having viable alternatives so that young kids from Tonga, for example, aren't all, are going heading off in, to, for scholarships in New Zealand or Japan um, to, to mega economies to try and make a new life there? What, what would you like to see happen on island to, to ensure that it's not just guys that are reared from New Zealand and Australia coming through to, to bolster, but actually making sure that there's a pipeline there? Yeah, I think um, you know you, you, you tapped on a, a lot of issues there that we, we really need to you know keep working on. Um, for me, it, it always comes back to governance, you know, and 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 the principles of good governance. Um, you know, um, I think you know um, if we start there, then all of those it'll it'll have an impact on all, all of those other areas that you just that you just mentioned. Um, you know, at the moment, um, and this is where it gets exciting. You know, there was there was a governance. The World Rugby in, implemented a, a, a full governance review of their organisation um, over the last twelve months. And one of the key aspects that will be um, in play, uh, you know, uh, very shortly, is this fit and proper persons test. Um, that will mean that there has to be, um, you know, the people in the unions that are running, you know, that. Are, uh, uh, running the show basically um, have to be in there for the right reasons, and that for me is is a, is, is, is a big one. You know, um, for too long, you know, uh, Pacific Island rugby has been uh, um, used as um, political ragdoll, I guess, um, between you know politicians. Um, you know, we definitely saw um, the negative impacts of that in, in, in Samoa over the last probably 10, 10 or fifteen years since the uh, the government 
took over control and they basically took back the Samoan Rugby Union off. Uh, it used to be privately owned. Um, and just the detrimental effect that that had. So that's a, that's a key one. Um, I'd like also to see... Um, you know, World Rugby have more of a, a say on on who has to visit the, the Pacific Islands because we just struggle for fixtures in the islands. And uh, I guarantee you, you know, um, England or, or you know, or the Wallabies coming playing us in Samoa is going to be a very different scoreline than us continually playing uh, playing them over here. We need uh, games to be played in the islands, but also we need to be made that uh, financially viable as well. So, um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to see a, an FA Cup model, uh, you know, sort of approach where you sort of, you know, you're, you're paired, you have a home and away game and you split the, you know, the joint uh, gates that, we're celebrating this win um, around the eligibility. It's, you know, the, uh, the successes uh, have seen um, few and far between, uh, but it's a step, massive step in the right direction. It's not perfect, as you guys uh, said, but, um, you know, we, we um, you know, it's a, it's a step in that, in that uh, where, the, where the sport needs to go, I, I feel. Dan, good, good luck persuading... Uh... The RFU to, to split the revenue with you. It's it's a it's an argument you've been banging away on for a while, and one they've resisted for for, for even longer. Um, I did have a, a question, a tier one question. Do you do you have to rely on goodwill from tier one nations to not also try and take advantage of this in recruiting capped players from the islands who they like the look of? For me, as I said, it's a step in the right direction and it's not perfect and we need to push for, you know, again, I think a shorter stand-down period, but also this is, uh, you know, I mean, my, my proposal was that uh, it could only go one way, you know, tier one down to tier two to stop that, you know, that uh, potential loophole there of, um, you know, that could, could to be exploited. Um, I don't. I think it's detrimental to the, you know, to what the, you know, the amendments were, um, you know, were, were voted in for if if it goes that way. But yeah, for me, it's that we, you know, the goal is, you know, um, in, in ten or fifteen years, we don't actually need this amendment to Regulation Act because the situation would have been capitalised on that we can actually develop our own players and actually have the revenue there so that players commit to, you know, you know, the, the tier two or you know, Pacific Island nation before they're drawn away by the riches that you mentioned uh, of the tier one nations. So that's for me, you know, the goal um, for me, and it might be a bit wild out there, but, you know, um, you know, I think personally the, the, the international game has, should be, should go back to amateur. If I'll be really honest and let the, let the pro, let the pro clubs, you know, pay, pay the players. Um, because I think that's going to be the only way that we have a perfect uh, world where, you know, players are playing for their, you know, their nation of, um, they're, they're proud to wear as opposed to it just being, you know, another job. Um, when, you know, and we all like to think of this, you know, international rugby, you know, the romanticism of, you know, players playing for pride. But the reality is, is that our players, the Pacific Island players see that as a you know as a as an economic opportunity to go to go and, and, and earn money so unless you know something's changes somewhere in the you know the finances at the top of the game it's always going to be an issue and and these you know these amendments to eligibility laws are always just going to be a plaster over you know um over the over the wound that, that's a fascinating proposal again i can't i can't imagine you'll find owen farrell or Marotoji offering to play for free when when they can get 25 grand at a game for england but let, let's this eligibility law change will 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 impact this the, the next World Cup in France hugely. Just 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 sort of tantalise us with some of the names who you know will have switched by then, or or, or at the very least you, you you hope will have switched nations and will now be competing in a World Cup when previously they couldn't. Yeah, oh, it's really exciting, and this is what you know. Uh, my you know, it's great to be having this conversation. I know for a fact Lima Sopoanga will will play for Samoa. Uh, Julian Salvea will probably play for Samoa. Uh, Charles Piotel will join Malachi Fakatoa and Israel Falau uh, in, in the backline for, for Tonga. I know that that name uh, brings up uh, um, certain emotions, but um, yeah, I think it's it's going to be great. You know, Stephen Luatua, hopefully for, for, for Samoa, a host of players that will generally make uh, the Pacific Islands contenders. Um, so uh, yeah, really, really exciting, and um, I can't wait to see it. Dan, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate Cheers. it. Cheers. All the best. Talk to you soon. Cheers. That was fascinating from Dan. And a few a few proposals for the future he, he shared with us. Mark, what did you make of his idea for Test Rugby to become amateur, his his vision for a new model for, for the international game that w- would involve revenue sharing? I mean, I love the idea of everyone playing for free. I, I, I just, I do, I do. I really find it very, very attractive. I just, I just don't think it's realistic. I, I think they've got, 
and I say they, I think if I was in the Pacific Islands shoes now, I'd be looking to try and do two more things, I think. I think I'd go for a levy uh, when you play away. Uh, so to instead tier of one. a 50-50 split? Like I, don't, I just don't think the 50-50 is ever going to happen. In fact, and some of the tier one countries with the pressure they're under themselves, there's no way they can possibly count, financial pressure, there's no way they'll countenance that. Mm-hmm. But I do think a, a reasonably significant levy each time uh, to the to the island team is a, is a, is a fair and reasonable uh, thing to try and get. And to try and also make t- sort of capture... Uh, uh, or project players, a thing very much of the past. I, I know we've pushed the uh, qualification period up to five years. I'd put it up to seven, uh, and that would pretty much eliminate it. Mm. I, I think the interesting thing from all that is that there there are a lot of things you hope will work in the best interest of the game. And uh, with the, what's I mean, what's the terminology we always use in, in rugby? It's uh, spirit of the game is mm. actually written into the laws. We keep hearing stuff about spirit of the game. You hope you'd hope you'd like love to hope that all of these things will happen in the spirit of the game. It's an interesting one though with it as well, isn't it? Is because if you've got these this arsenal of former All Blacks that can come in. You just hope that they'd be able to actually have the time together, as opposed to what we've seen so many times in the past that uh, Tonga and Samoa and and Fiji have very little time together to actually try and gel together as a team. Is that suddenly made better by having uh, some All Blacks come in? You just hope that they would have more time together. It's an interesting one as well. We're talking an awful lot about Reg Eight with all this, but actually Regulation Nine and the enforcement of that is an interesting one. We've just mm. seen Tonga in the autumn window have to do a, have to broker a deal with the French clubs to have players available so they've had to lobby the clubs to be able to have access to their stars and when they have them not everyone could play in every single game so Lopetti Tamani for example played in the second test but didn't play in the first test mm. of this autumn window they had to negotiate and I've spoken to guys in the Netherlands for example if we're talking about lower tier clubs where they have a fight on when they're at the highest level they've ever been the d- division below the Six Nations uh, the European Championship they're having to fight to have access to some of their best players from the lower leagues in France because they're questioning whether or not that's a high enough standard for them to be playing at and whether they can have so they're having to pick and choose now they're very savvy about that and a lot of national national teams have had to be very savvy about that but if we're talking about all these magnificent changes to Reg 8 you'd like to uh, as far as I understand it for Regulation 9 it's unions negotiating with each other um, sometimes other people will just step back and let the let the unions mm. try and sort it out or, or unions negotiating with clubs you'd like to think that maybe there'll be I almost said attack dog there but a watchdog to ensure that if we're going to have access to all these stars that we've never had before that the clubs will actually let them play international rugby because that's going to be better for the game I think that's right although I would say the exception to the preparation argument is World Cups the, the one time sure, of course the one time and this is probably uh, I would imagine uh, predictions are Desperately dangerous, aren't they? But if looking forward, where do I see it going? I, I see the first part of the next stage being probably all three islands, and Fiji have been, to be fair, in, in the past, being much more competitive at a World Cup because their player pool will be stronger, and that is the one time when they do get four, five, six weeks together with their, um, with their players. And the fact that 2023 is in France... Uh, the part of the world where m- not not all, but the largest cohort of PI players are playing this part of the world. I think that's helpful too. It was great to speak to Dan there and, and a fascinating uh, development in, in the global game, which we'll be watching, watching closely. Now, coming up next, uh, we'll dive straight into the Gallagher Premiership. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So the Premiership weekend started on Friday night with four games, um, which I'm told is because BT Sport wanted to broadcast one of them and the the uh, other three clubs all prefer playing on Fridays, which means that there was one game on Saturday, one game on Sunday, and less uh, live rugby for anyone else to watch. Yeah, it's it's because we're back down to three games a weekend, aren't we? Um, and you do get these anomalies where you get the, the other teams who are not being televised choosing, actively choosing Friday for a variety of reasons. Um I think most of us got used to watching six games. No, we mm. didn't all watch six games. <laughs> you didn't. Did. I didn't watch six games. <laughs> you weren't far but, off. But but the but the audience was was enjoyed being able to watch whichever game they wanted to, and um, and now we're not in that position. I think it. I think we will get there in the end. I think we'll get like other leagues have. We'll have all six televised, and I think we'll probably end up. And the clubs will hate this, so there'll have to be a bit more money on the table. I think we'll end up with a Thursday night, a Friday night, two on Saturday and two on Sunday. And the and, and where you play is determined entirely by the broadcaster and, and and that's part of the deal. But at the moment, we have three games shown live and the other three could end up anywhere. So uh, mm. I must admit, I was taken aback. I was out Friday night, so, you know, there's most of the ones I watched, I watched on, I watched on, so not live. Um, what's, what caught your eye this weekend? Mark, there was another... Weekend of defeats for for Bristol for um, Sale, and and Exeter did win, but um, shouldn't have, shouldn't have, and they, and they, and they beat beat Bath, who can't can't win at all. Mm. Those three clubs were, um, no, pre season were, were were real title contenders, and, and they're all struggling in different ways. They are, and and I'm sure the reasons are very different. I think there's a couple of absolutely. Exeter are still sort of there or thereabouts, although I think they'd be the first to say they're not playing anywhere near their best. And they still have got an awful lot of players mm. to come back, particularly up front. I mean, their forward domination is is nowhere near. I mean, Bath gave them a, a hosing up front for for an hour um, in the scrum as well, which was a real surprise. Uh, but the other two, um, I think... There's a couple of big big games coming out. Bristol uh, are, are, are at Gloucester this weekend. And they need a win, and and Gloucester are playing well. Um, if they lose a couple more, I think you can pretty much wave the top four goodbye to, for for Bristol, who last year you know romped to the top, and an extra at home to Saracens. A lot of history in that game. Mm. Uh, I'll be I'm looking forward to that one. Um, and Sale just not gelling, not quite the sum of their parts, particularly up front. On, on paper, they look terrific, but. You know, they never really. Yeah, it's, it's it's strange. I don't quite what's happening there. I mean, you talk about that Exeter Sale game coming up. I mean, it, the way that Exeter have been trying to play or, or have had their success, mm. you try and play like that against the Saracens team who we saw this weekend. You know, against a, a powerful Sale team, dominated the breakdown, dominated mm. the set piece. Yeah, it. it, it I think Exeter will come back uh, because I think they've just got such great foundations and um, there are some absolutely key players they're missing. I mean, although Ewers was back at the, the weekend and I thought he was their best player. He he definitely was. And in fact, the way that he... Whenever you get within five metres of the line, I, I made a point of watching him and, and Yindel actually. Ewers and Yindel sounds like an artisanal baker's. But <laughs> Ewers and Yindel, um, watching them operate close to the line, I mean, he's a very distinctively shaped man. Yes, Ewers, um, he is. But he was eye-catching just the work he was doing in and around there. And it was with players like that, you just feel that they're they're not a team that panics. No. Which and and with the firepower that they've got, I think that makes total sense. Um, but I mean, the interesting one is you're right, um, Bath, and we can we can talk about them a little bit. But the way that Exeter got the telling try, I mean, 
I counted it was it was almost like a nine syllable word. If you said a nine syllable word out loud, that's almost as long as it took for the bath back row to get anywhere near Sam Simmons as he was heading towards under the post to score. He came a try. off that strum like a rocket, didn't he? It was it was it was crazy, but it was also it's it, it it leads to an interesting point about Bath because we've just and I think you've got you said you've got a, a contrarian view on this one, mm. uh, Mark. But we've just had the Ed Griffith review, which is not a stage show, um, where uh, the former Saracens uh, high hedian, um basically went in there and pointed out a lot of things that a lot of people would have told you about Bath beforehand. Um, they need the club needs a better medical and therapy uh, section. Apparently, um, training days need to be more flexible when players are out. And the big thing that they said they need urgently is uh, a specialist defence coach, not an exorcist, but a, a specialist defence coach. But Mark, you disagree? Well, uh, wait, not, maybe no, not disagree, but no, you see no, something no. different. I, I, well, a I'm I'm always I'm always a little bit cautious reading uh, reviews where you don't see the text. And you just see the headlines because that's being controlled by what the club want to put out there. So I, I very, I haven't seen it. I'd love to see what what was actually written. So, but my, I suppose, is this a contrarian view? I don't know. I don't think there's that much wrong with Bath in the long run. They've got a, they've got a decent squad. I mean, that that Simmons tribe was 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 great, but they should have been gone by then. A Jomo. Ab, who had a very good game apart from two howlers in the last 15 minutes when it was easier not to score that would have put them 10 points up they'd won by that. I mean I people say well, coulda woulda shoulda yeah I know but sometimes it's true they they won that game he, he puts that ball in he didn't even have to put it inside dummy and go I mean Hogg was committed He he he's under the sticks for another seven they're 10 points up Exeter aren't coming back from that and you look at you look at the individual performances, and I thought if I wrote them down, who's playing well? Muir was playing well, Le German was playing well, De Glanville was playing well, and the guy who made a huge difference, and he's back, Spencer. I don't know why they took him off. I've no idea why they took him off. Spencer makes a huge difference to that side, and Orlando Bailey is growing into the role. I don't think there's much fundamentally wrong with Bath. They're going to probably come bottom this year, but I think they need to hold their nerve uh, and carry on doing what they're doing. And then you look at the list of players they've got to come back into the squad. I thought it was a really gutsy, spirited performance. Just lacked a little bit of composure. This is a fundamental question about elite sport in general, though, isn't it? It's it's about do you stick or do you twist? Because mm. I don't think if you're a Bath fan, you can be too happy with just looking at the club and go, oh, but they're trying really hard and there's there's a glimmer of something there, but they've been the results have been atrocious. I think I mean, there's more than a glimmer. I really think there's more than a glimmer. And, and but, I, but you take my point, right? I do, of is, course is that, I do, is yeah. That, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's... Yeah. And, and people can't see the wood for the trees and you can go around and say, but everyone's a great person and there's some lovely people at this club and there's we, we can see the talent there and there's something. But there's got to be a reason why it's not working. And it can't just be because they don't have a specialist defence coach. Because, by the way, they're, they've shipped less, tr- fewer tries than um, Worcester Warriors have, for example. Mm. But Worcester are above them because they've won a couple of games. What is it that's stopping them? Because if you're telling me that they're this close to clicking and that they'll go on a run of wins, then then fair enough. Yeah, I think they will. Yes, I do. I, I do. I, d- I don't know when it's going to be, but I do think if they if they stick with it, they will go on a run. And I think in it's what every league wants, isn't it? The team at the bottom is not very far away from the team at the top, and they're certainly not very far away from the teams in the middle. I can remember a couple of weeks back, it was all about Gloucester, wasn't it? Gloucester are terrible. Gloucester needs to make changes. Gloucester are bloody useless. What are we, four games on? And and, and look, and everyone's talking about Gloucester this weekend, and, and if, if Gloucester beat Bristol this weekend, which I think they will, because um, I think at the moment they're a better team... Will people stay, well, you know, time for Pat Lamb to go because they're at the bottom as well. I, I mean, I think I think one of the advantages of having no relegation, as long as teams just don't start to sort of not care, and that was the point I was making about, I know you've got to have more than that, but that's a give, you've got to, that, should, that, that is an argument I've often heard and I've never accepted that rugby teams, is, with is, when there's no relegation, they just give up. I just don't think there's any evidence for that at all. I think it's just nonsense. But, you know, 
I do think if they stick with them, they will go on a run. Okay, this is from the man who said that making predictions is, is dangerous <laughs> earlier. He's just made some whopping predictions. Yes, yes. Well, there you go. Um, so we, we think we think Bath, well, Bath have been close to winning a couple of games. They're still winning us after eight. London Irish had put together three mm. three draws this season. I think they're they're like mid table, sixth or seventh, with only two wins, but three draws and a whole stack of of bonus points. Has has them in mid table and and they they pulled off a, a, another big win in mm. in the you know the, the probably the most local definitely the most local of derbies that now exists in the Premiership now they're back in London in, in sport you hear an awful lot about the you, teams described as the cardiac kids it's got to be the EKG EXLs doesn't it everything is heart attack stuff to the last possible second will they want they um, I will watch a fixture if London Irish is playing because you have absolutely no idea what's going to come from mm. them and it's it's a, it's amazing and speaking to be, speaking to a lot of people about that game I mean tight between rivals it's what you want Quinns couldn't help but play like Quinns in conditions when they maybe should have been a bit more pragmatic is the takeaway that I've heard from quite a few people Mark you've been on, on the, the Quinns side of that fixture mm. what, what does it mean what does Quinns London Irish mean maybe to London Irish it means more, more to London Irish than it does to Harlequins if mm. I'm honest Harlequins view their traditional rivals as well did mm. as wasps and now it's Saracens. I mean, now they really don't like each other. And that, 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 that's sort of genuine. I mean, who, how can you not like London Irish? You know, they're a lovely, great club. But, but they are a, they're, a, they're, a, they're a real team this season. They've got some very, very good players. Some homegrown, a number from overseas. They've got a good all-court game. They can, they've got a bit of grunt up front. They can play, they play, a, lot of, they play a lot of football. You know, they move it around a bit. Um, and Quinns were just off. They they would they would just not they were you only got to be ten percent off mm. in any on a weekend these days in the Premiership. I don't care who you are, you're gonna probably get beat. And they their energy seemed a bit little bit down, which was funny after two weeks off. Um, but credit to London Irish, they Quinn's butchered a whole load of chances, but so did Irish. Yeah, I mean Irish, you know? Irish's back three left left some points out there with mm. some wayward passing. Uh, you've got to give a nod to Curtis Rona though. Oh, terrific, phenomenal. Or, or non-passing because Hassel Collins had two and yeah should have gone both going left both going left yeah, going left. yeah. <laughs> mm. on on Saracens the, that the rivalry between Quinns and Saracens mm. I don't think it's it's solely at Quinns there's a fascinating passage in Eddie Jones's new book about the res, the resentment felt within the England squad towards Saracens pre World Cup which got stamped out in the now sort of infamous training camp in Treviso which ended with Mike Brown and Ben Teo coming to blows and both got kicked out of the camp. And they um, That then resurfaced during the Six Nations, according to Eddie's book. Mm. The the, lead, the England leadership group, which was predominantly Saracens players, in his words, began to crack. Um, there were younger players who saw there was, there was a leadership void developing because players were being picked on reputation. They, they hadn't played because Saracens were in the championship. Mm. And he just talks about this sense of resentment Towards Saracens that has now twice erupted within the England camp. Yeah, the Quinn Southland thing goes back to about 2013, um, and and it's still there. Um, it, it'll probably dissipate over time, um, and it's a London thing too. Mm. You know, they're, 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 that is the but that if you ask what does it mean, if you ask most Quinn, people at Quinns where's the derby, the derby Saracens. What, Even what triggered though, it? What triggered it in 2013? Um, well, if you remember, Quinns were champions, and they went in a playoff game to 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 uh, Allianz, what was then Allianz Park, and um, I think it was fair to say they felt that it wasn't a level playing field. How about, how about putting it like that? <laughs> um, back at what's now the Stonex um, mm. this weekend, we've, we've mentioned it already, but we saw Saracens, we saw Billy Vinopola come back from injury, and he said afterwards himself, "You know, I am fighting for my England career." I was deservedly dropped and now I want it back. And he played, he delivered a pass off his left hand that Ollie Hassel Collins probably should have done. Well, the, the, it's always been an underrated part of Billy Vinopolo's game, but we're used to seeing him off the back of lineouts playing the distributor and he never really gets gets the mm. credit for that because we just see him as a, a big rumble-tumble player that, that whacks the ball forward as hard as he can. Um, you know, maybe if he's taken the eye, his eye off the ball in recent times and we haven't seen the best of him, but that was... There was certainly some, ve- 
how can you how can you say there was venom in a pass when it was laid on a plate for someone? But you you know what I mean. There was a message being sent as well as the ball. Yeah, with that one and the style that he played at the weekend. And it was a it struck me, Mark, a performance from Saracens that Alex Anderson in his old job would have been walking home chest puffed out. He would have loved it because it was it was defensively they were extraordinary for a long period. They kept them scoreless for an hour or so. But not only that. It built the frustration within Sale because they could everything they tried, they kept hitting that brick wall of Saracen defenders and it all sort of erupted in Byron McGuigan's outburst and yeah. and he, he lost it for a second. Which but that I, was all part this of it, is wasn't it? Terribly incorrect. I quite enjoyed that. You you <laughs> see it so you see it so rarely these days. He did, he completely lost it. Terribly, terribly un- unprofessional. Good T V though. Brilliant. Um <laughs> and uh and funnily enough, with 14 men, they actually looked... They, they they made a few more line breaks and they put them under a bit more pressure mm. than they had up to that point. But I agree, fantastic defensive performance. Saracen's defensive team at the minute uh, what I, uh, is, is, is excellent. Uh, it makes you wonder why they thought they needed all those extra players. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm in a little list. Listen, Liam Williams, uh, uh, Singleton, who's gone back to uh, Ben Spencer, um, Will Skelton, Reese Carr. I, the list does actually go on a bit. You know, people say oh, it's just the same as it was. It's not. That, there's a whole list of players who used to be in that title-winning squad who aren't there anymore, and you, you know, they didn't need them. Mm. <laughs> to be competitive, you know, they're a very, very competitive side and they're very well coached and they've got a very strong team ethic and spirit. And uh, defensively, all right, offensively, they're not always the easiest on the eye, but they've got some great ball players. I thought the way Good and Malins um, interchanged with each other was was terrific. Um you know they look. They're they're a, they're a, they're a genuine contender. Which again, I think a few people at the beginning of the year weren't absolutely sure they would be. And and they've still got innovative coaches. And we we saw we saw to to counter the caterpillar. They've <laughs> they've created the crab. Do we call it? It, it was to fit, uh, try and paint the picture. Defensive ruck. Nick Izyekwi would would bind on the back, and then they would swing themselves around so that Izyekwi was right just just on the offside line just shy of it it was like a jack, co- it was like a jackknife uh, yeah. caterpillar wasn't it and was able to just get a bit closer to trying to ch- charge down Rafi Quirk and and yeah, yeah i mean you've got to take your as i saw a lot of people debating is this legal is this illegal uh, certainly the it seems pre it was definitely premeditated uh, from what i've heard from a few behind the scenes it's a it's a plan for the, the for two fixtures in particular. There are some teams in the league that just happen to have a hell of a train behind them for when they're going to go for a box kick. Um, and this seems like a, an innovative way to try and counter that, where basically, if you want to counter rock against the jackknife caterpillar, you've got to come through the gate and then take a swift right or left-hand turn at 90 degrees to try and swim through the rest of it to try and get to the person at the back of that. Whereas they, on the other side, can fly off instantly and try and get closer to the nine. They didn't, but there's a there's a brilliant image on on Getty actually from the 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 weekend where you can see Tim Swinson has got his hand through the bodies of um, Sale, almost getting his hand to the ball just as it's kicked, and that is entirely by design. Um, whether they're allowed to do it next week, we will see, but certainly that's the plan. I don't think there's anything illegal in it. One of the fascinating things is you can't. You can't just clear Izyekwi out because to clear out of the rock, you have to come through the gate, and the gate is about two meters away from where he is. Yeah, I'm not saying there's anything illegal about it, but it's 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 just fascinating whenever we see innovation like that, and people go, "Oh, this is not in the spirit," or "This is." Whereas actually, I I, I don't know about anyone else, but I love this kind of stuff. I oh. love I love innovation like this where they're just like, "Right, how do we mess them up?" I, I love the innovation. I just think aesthetically it's offensive, but then that's you know that's, that's nah, I'm all for me. it. Yeah, good good on you. Um, I wouldn't mind touching on a couple of other games. Wasps, the Wasps-Gloucester game, which, which Gloucester won, as you said, Mark, they're, they're going well. The one the, the one thing I'd like to mention about that was Alfie Barbary's return. Yeah. And the, the revelation over the weekend from um, Lee Blackett that Alfie, Lee Blackett and Eddie Jones had sat down and determined that his best position was number eight. So he came through as a hooker and he played for England on the 20s as a hooker. And all his senior rugby has been played in the back row, Wasps. 
But when he was called up in the England camp uh, about a year ago, it was as a hooker. He's been out injured so long. I wonder whether it's because he's missed a year of, of working on scrummaging or line-out, but he's, he's now specifically a number eight. On much more limited knowledge, I think I might have been tempted to go the other way. Um, just because he's such a wonderful broken field runner and there's an awful lot of good number eights around. Uh, there really are. Um, and will he get... Whereas I thought he was by some distance Wasp's best hooker when everyone was fit, I'm not sure he's in the run-on team when everyone's fit at Wasp's. If both the Willis brothers are fit and Shields is fit, does he does he get in the team? He's a hell of a player, though, isn't he? He's, oh, got, he's one of those... It's extraordinary. He's one of those players, a bit like Rafi Quirk at Scrum Arv, who who's just got his, his, his footwork, his body angles. He, he packs a bigger punch than, than you think. He makes ground everywhere. He's impossible to get down. I don't know. I think he's... And, and the fact that Eddie Jones was involved in that conversation... Yeah, yeah, it's good. ...makes me think that that's where England think he's got the best chance. To me, that sounds like we're still playing spin the bottle to pick who's playing number eight for England. <laughs> uh, you know, that's my takeaway from that. Uh, there's another interesting thing in Wasp, and it's, it's one to keep an eye on is... Uh, a lot's been made about the the attendances at Coventry Football Club uh, going up, uh, whereas at Wasps, uh, Bobby Bridge has, has written about this for the Covetel if anyone wants to seek it out, but uh, there's growing dis- discontent about the, the number of uh, fans that are coming dressed as blue chairs mm-hmm. um, uh, at, at the stadium there. So it's it's just w- interesting. Why are people not wanting to turn out and watch this? Well, I mean, 33-35 gloss, if we if we think high scoring is what's entertaining fans, what is what is not drawing people well, to go and watch Wasps? I'll, I'll get on my soapbox here on this one. Um, when Wasps went to Coventry, they made, in my opinion... The elementary error and a very common error of saying we need to grow a new crowd because we're moving into a new area. So what do we do? And what they did was they gave away a pile of free tickets. And they did it regularly. And they had a rock star team, if you remember. They put a lot of money into that team when they first went to Coventry. Giving free tickets is like it's like a drug. You have to get given, you have to, as time goes on, you have to give out more and more and more to have the same effect. And what you were doing is you are cannibalizing your, your own revenues. They've recognized that now and they've stopped, but the damage is done and it's going to take a long while to build it back up. Um, giving free tickets away is simply telling people that your product has no value. And they did it and it's a, it's like a, I know why people do it, and a lot of people who haven't worked the business in terms of ticketing say, oh, well, just do it. give it free tickets for schools. How can you possibly be against it? Well, actually, you should be against it if you reach such high numbers that you haven't got a real crowd. And then when, because they had big crowds there in the early years, and now people look at the game and think, what the hell's happened to Wasps? What's happened to the crowd? Well, I'll tell you what's happened to the crowd. They're having to pay, and once you have, once you become used to not paying something, it's the devil's own job to make you love it enough to want to come put a few dollars behind it. And it's a real worry. I agree. It's a real worry. It looks awful, and it's been highlighted by the the the, the quite magnificent return of Coventry City. To be honest, because they were on their absolute uppers at level four, and now they are challenging up at level two. Fair play to them. But they are traditionally quite a big football club. And we should just mention Worcester's uh, draw at Newcastle in the game that was was rearranged because of the snow. Um, really gutsy performance from the Warriors. Late try and a nervous touchline conversion from Finn Smith, who was another of these young fly halves that England are producing. Orlando Bailey, Marcus Smith, these guys who are all coming through. Um, exciting, exciting young player to watch uh, at Worcester. And a big shout out to the Newcastle players for serving behind the bar after the game. Fair play. You know, they, they they did really well to get that game on. I thought that was a lovely, lovely touch. I don't know whose idea it was, but good on them. Sounds like a Dean Richards idea, doesn't Could it? Could well be. <laughs> <laughs> right, and coming up next, we've got our God or Goddess of the Week. Okay, uh, weekly feature, God or Goddess of the Week. Um, Al, should we start with you? 
Well, uh, turn, this turns out uh, this might end up becoming a weekly feature for me whenever I'm on. Remember, I was bigging up Chile last week. <laughs> mm. Chile have just qualified for the Sevens World Cup with uh, uh, the number of players that had switched over, I believe. So, for second week in a row, congratulations to Chile. You're, uh, I'm loving the work done over there. <laughs> but uh, my god of the week is, uh, and I'm sure if you're on social media, you've probably seen this. Ed Howley playing for Bridge End Ravens scored a try to win the game for them and it was a chip ahead the ball bounced backwards fantastic backspin up in the air and, and old Ed got his head on it uh, headed the ball forward caught it and scored fantastic we were talking about innovation earlier that's that's thinking on your feet or thinking on your head or whatever you want it to say it was quick thinking yeah, it's great. why is that not a knock on but it isn't you're right. yeah. yeah that's what I was wondering whether he did he just always know that or did he head it on and then ran in thinking is he going to call me back? Is he going to go? You've got to play the whistle, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's worth a shot. You weren't yeah. going to catch it. No, he wasn't. <laughs> uh, Mark, uh, I haven't got a god of the week. I've got a devil of the week. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and I know this is slightly old news uh, in the sense it was the week before, but I'm going to do it anyway because I, I feel because quite you tr- haven't had your say. Because <laughs> yeah, because I feel quite strongly about it. Um, I think that, and, and now I've read the eighty-page report um, on the Erasmus affair. And um, I, I, I'm staggered. I, I'm absolutely. Well, I'm particularly annoyed about the Saru's role in this. Uh, when you actually read about what happened and, and how it could possibly be defended, it was how could you plead not guilty? I mean, it's just, it's just when you actually read the witness statements, it's just absolutely extraordinary. And then the audacity to say they're going to appeal since retracted, I accept. I I, I just found it. Talk about damaging, you know, if you're really talking about incidents that damage the sport, there's that, that one. That whole thing from beginning to end has been nothing short of a disgrace. Well, you say it's a week old, but actually it's come out this weekend, or at least according to Erasmus, uh, Supersport are going to be doing a documentary. Yeah, documentary. Because, and I have a quote here, I will be able to tell my side of the story. Well, on, presumably the witness statement didn't give you that opportunity, did it? I mean, really, come on, let's get real. Super Sport, who he mentioned in the video, saying, <laughs> "I don't know where this might end up. It might end up on Super Sport." Yeah, exactly. It just, just. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Hey, uh, well, that's. I think that's our first devil of the week, but um, a worthy might be a new feature. A worthy might be a new I feature. Like it. I do like it. <laughs> uh, I'll go with Dan Leo for all the reasons that we've just discussed yeah. on the pod, uh, guys. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we'll be back next week on the Ruck um, for more insight into the Premiership and maybe a new devil of the week. Um, Everyone, please uh, subscribe or or follow wherever you you listen to your podcast. And uh, have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next Monday. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.